Today we live in a world of symbols. Uh, you can't go anywhere hardly without having to deal with uh, some kind of a symbol being placed in front of you. Uh, I grew up and uh, remember looking at uh, certain stars in uh, the state of Texas that were always in reference to the Dallas Cowboys uh, football team. Uh, I'm not exactly sure exactly what it is that a Canuck is. I'm still trying to figure that one out, working on that one for their symbol. But as we look at symbols, they somehow connect us with certain things and certain uh, places and experiences. And uh, as, a, as a Christian, I know uh, this morning we saw symbolism as we saw the baptism. Because you know and I know that immersion in that water is not what saves Donald. Uh, it's not what made him be suddenly magically become a Christian. Because he made a decision to confess his sins before Christ and ask Christ to come into his heart and guide him and lead him, he became a Christian. And then via this particular symbolism, presented a testimony to us. So baptism is important to us because it symbolizes the old man being cleaned and cleansed and coming out as a new man to go forward in freshness of life and in service to our Lord. It does not mean he's going to always be successful. Some days he will uh, sin, which will probably be today, as is true of all of us. But the symbolism is still there. For today, though, the symbolism that I want us to reflect on has to do with the cross. And the reason that we think of the cross during these days is very obvious because we recognize that Jesus entered into a city as a very popular guy. He came into the city and everybody was so excited. They've heard of him. They've heard of him doing all these magical things, these miracles. And they, they thought, this is a great thing. This is a good thing that's going to happen. But within just a very short period of time, people began to start realizing that connecting themselves too close to Jesus could get them in trouble. As we look at that today, I want us to think about the issue of what motivates us in our understanding of the cross. You know, as we think about different people in the Scripture and how they responded toward the cross. We have some who responded very positively. Some who responded very negatively. And some who were very reserved. And we'll talk about that a bit today. But one of the ones I want us to look at primarily today. Is someone that we don't normally think of as one having a great testimony. But you know the word testimony is not necessarily always a positive thing. Showing the wonderful things that a person has done. Sometimes our testimony is just simply a witness of who we are. It's a kind of a reflection of our personality and our, our thinking and our understanding. The, the person that we're looking at primarily to begin our story today is Pilate. Now, Pilate is not someone that most of us would desire to be like. He's not someone that we think of as a, a great uh, ideal leader for us. Indeed, Pilate was tied very heavily to a motivator in his life 
of ambition. The ambition for him was to become powerful, strong, well-known. Be, he was very much uh, into being a selfish individual. His uh, position was everything to him. And yet, you know, Chinese is a very frustrating language because the very nature of the word ambition in Chinese is virtually always negative. Because it's seen as something that a person's trying to, to get and pull back to benefit them. But you know, if you look at someone and you say, he has no ambition, that sounds like a bad thing too. A person with no ambition is a person that's probably going in circles. Doesn't have a clue where they're going or what they're doing. Just like this microphone that continues to do anything it wants to do today. Maybe that'll help with that one extra twist. But our ambitions don't necessarily have to be selfish. And there is a term that we use as Christians all the time, our burden. A burden can substitute in a positive way for any selfish ambition. A burden is something that exists with a desire to do something of importance, to make a contribution. Our burden is, a, we, is something that does challenge the question of what our motivation is for what we do and don't do. When, we, when, when I think about my burden, my primary burden is to find God's approval, His guidance for what I'm doing. Not necessarily what is convenient or what is popular or what other people like, but my burden is to find His direction. You know, in Chinese, there's connected with the word burden or uh, ambition. They use the word wild heart. Well, the very words themselves tell you it's kind of negative. Your wild heart. But there's another word in Chinese that says your hot hope. Yitmong. Yitmong is some. If we can establish that kind of a heart, one that's hot and has hope, we're so much closer to understanding burden, why God created us. Yet one of the problems that you have and I have is a very common one, and that is that we are selfish. We let our egos get in the midst of things, and when they do, they begin to impact our motivation, our purpose, where we're going, what we're doing, and our understanding of the kingdom of God is impacted by this. We're created for a purpose, and we need to establish the, the burden of Jesus in our hearts. In the Scripture, it says in John 3.30, He must increase and I must decrease. He must become my all-valuable direction. I must quit emphasizing my goals, my wishes, and my heart. Matthew 27, verses 1 to 2, verses 11 onward. All relate to the same as what we find in John chapter 18, 19. All dealing with the same story, trying to deal with Easter. Now, we would expect that at Easter we're going to say something about the resurrection. If we don't, we're being irresponsible. But for that resurrection to occur... We have to understand the cross. 
One thing we find within ambition is a need to understand that ambition and security are very, very closely married. Ambition and security, very, very closely married. So sometimes when we're talking about his ambitions, his motivations for what he's doing, sometimes it's just so much tied to that person's desire to find some level of comfort, of, of, uh, uh, of a future direction, an awareness that everything's going to be okay. But you know, the problem is the Scripture does not in any place promise okay by your definition. Nowhere in the Scriptures say that everything is going to be suitable to your liking. My goodness, you and I all know the story of Job. As we reflect on Job, nobody would imagine that after Job had his whole family destroyed, all the things that he had destroyed, everything he had spent a lifetime developing, that he was going to go out and dance on the hillsides and say, gee, this is a great day. Indeed, Jesus, uh, we can see that Job did not do that. So sometimes our definitions and what God really has for us don't always seem to, from a timing perspective, pull themselves together well. Well, the story of Job, we know where it goes. Difficulties, trials, challenges, struggles, discussions with friends, trying to work through who God is. In a sense, isn't that something that you and I do every day? We're always trying to understand who God really is in our lives. We have a desire to understand His burden. Why does He want to use us in this way? Why is this situation this way? Shouldn't it be smoother? Not necessarily. Only when we place ourselves, our ego, in the center of everything. Let's look at Pilate today. As we look at Pilate, we can look at his background. And we have to recognize that he was the governor of Judea. He was a prefect. He was one who came out of the Roman guard. He was not born to high position. He was a, I guess you would call him a middle class nobleman. He had a decent position. He owned land, not a lot, but he had land. So, I mean, we, he, he was stepping into this position with some leadership skills. He didn't step in with no leaderships at all, no leadership skills at all. He was appointed specifically by the emperor, Tiberius. His headquarters were in Caesarea, a Roman city in the Mediterranean coast. He traveled in and out. Much like my friends have traveled in and out of China for years. They buy land and houses and places around the city. They live outside in Hong Kong and they go in and out to check on their holdings. In the same way, he traveled in and out. He didn't mind saying, I, don't, I will work in and Judea will be my responsibility, but I don't really want to exactly live there. He really preferred to live nearer to the king because, you know, that when you live a little closer to the man in charge, the relationships that are built become pretty important. So he preferred to live in Caesarea. Like all the Roman governors, his primary role was to manage and control, to make sure that things bad did not occur. You know, not unlike the Hong Kong situation where recently we had the umbrella movement. 
you know, and the Chinese government from outside was looking at it, watching very, very carefully what might occur that would be beyond their control. He watched. He made, made careful decisions in order to try to keep peace and keep things going forward. Pilate had been working in this role for about seven years, but yet he had very little cultural involvement. He was a guest. He was outside. He was looking in. He was the boss. He knew that he could impact the decisions that were made. But he also had developed a number of strong enemies within the, the Jewish community. They didn't particularly like each other. There was a barrier, a gap between the cultures. He visited them. He understood a little bit. But he didn't really have a desire to build an, in a, a deep Lasting relationship. So Pilate's background was that with Jesus' situation, as he came into that picture, we know he entered into the city at the time of the Passover, coming into a major celebration. Well, at that time, you have various leadership, both from the Roman side as well as the Jewish side, who were all coming into the city to see what was going on. Some were coming to celebrate. Some were coming to observe. Some were coming to control. So we have that kind of an environment. And Jesus stepped in the middle of this when they were there for the Passover, celebrating and remembering their history, reflecting on who they were. The Jewish people were there to say, you know, God carried us out of the, the land of Egypt. This is an exciting time. This is a worshipful time. This is a time of celebration. And yet what Jesus stepped into was anything but celebration. For very, very quickly, he discovered that the Jewish leadership there was using that opportunity to come after him. And we know the way the Scripture tells us that he was taken before Annas. He was taken before Caiaphas. Taken before the Sanhedrin, before who, before all of the Jewish leadership in various forms and various stages and was judged each time to be a blasphemer because Jesus did not fit into their box. They had a religious box that said, if you will do these things, follow these rules and regulations, you'll be okay. But you are here and saying things that threaten us. We're uncomfortable with this. We cannot stand it. And when they concluded that he was actually presenting himself as equal to God, a son of the living God, they just simply said, that is beyond anything we can accept. Now, Pilate, as the governor, was probably pretty much up on this situation. He was not naive. He had enough ears out there hearing what was going on to be aware of Jesus and what he had done in the past. Jesus' miracles were known to people. He was known as a person who made a difference wherever he was. For three and a half years, Jesus had been roaming around, doing all kinds of special things. Pilate most likely didn't really care very much for Jesus, but at the same time cared even less for the Jewish people as a whole. When he looked at Jesus, all he saw him doing was doing a little extra bragging. For him, it was not blasphemy because he, as a Roman, cared less about the Jewish rules and regulations. 
So when the Jewish rule, Jewish people came to him and said, this Jesus is saying things that is just beyond acceptable. His response to them was, eh, okay, I hear you. But it wasn't, okay, I'll support you. Let's punish him. Well, it didn't take long for the Jewish people to realize that particular problem existed. Eventually, we know what happened as the, the court system began to work. Because the Jewish people themselves began to understand, we're going to have to find a way to use the court system to our advantage. And so he, the court system began to, to function, and, and uh, indeed, they brought, the Jewish people brought Jesus before Pilate. When they brought him there, brought him to the court, that was a big decision. Now, their court system really, in a sense, is not unlike what we have today. He had a presentation for what he had done wrong. He was given an opportunity to say whether or not he was guilty or not. But again, the issue was blasphemy from the Roman perspective was not a punishable sin unto death. And by this time, the Jewish leadership had reached a point they didn't want to punish Jesus. They didn't want to see him beaten. They wanted to see him taken out of the story. So they had to think of a way to remove him, to find some way to use the system. And as they got into the discussion, gradually we see Pilate, as he's listened to what these Jewish leaders have said, he finally pulled Jesus aside and he said, Okay, let's talk about this thing. It's kind of interesting because there's a certain point in here. Matthew 27, 11 says, the question from Pilate was, okay, give me the bottom line. Are you the king of the Jews? You see, the problem was that for Pilate, king of the Jews was a political argument. If he said, yes, I'm a king, then now you've got it into his area. But if, you know, from the Jewish perspective, they were insulted, not that he was politically anything, but that he was daring to say he related to God in that way. And he represented them in that way. But Jesus, in his response, was quite interesting. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. That's in John 18. You see, Jesus clarified immediately. Your understanding of me being a king is different from what I'm going to say to you. And they got into this discussion. And then eventually the next question from Pilate was, you said something about truth. What is truth? I'm not getting it. Talk to me about what is truth. And they got off into some kind of a philosophical discussion of truth because Jesus was saying those people who understand truth are following me. I don't know how you deal with truth. But we certainly can see according to the scripture, truth was more important than how people felt about things whether they liked the environment, whether it was comfortable, whether it was anything. The question was, what is true should impact our actions. 
I look at this and I'm challenged by what Jesus said. Because what it says to me is, knowing the Scripture and allowing the Scripture to be my guide for the decisions I make, for my values, for my morals, is more important than anything. Jesus said, those people that understand truth will follow me. So they got off into this discussion. And Pilate couldn't even fully understand. But he was still saying, tell me more about this. Give me your definition. Well, as they continued to talk, we know the next step that what happened was Barabbas came into the story. Because by this time, Pilate was trying every method possible to get off the hook. He didn't want in this situation in the first place. Pilate could care less about Jesus in this situation. But now he's realizing that he's being used. He realizes that he's gotten pulled and dragged into the middle of this confrontation between these two groups. You've got the Jews over here. You've got his responsibility as a Roman judge, a governor. And Jesus is in the middle and he's not even sure that Jesus really needs to be there. He certainly knows Jesus is innocent. He can already see that Jesus, from his perspective, hasn't done anything besides talk too much. Jesus has said and has presented himself in a way that these people don't like it, but that's their problem. This is just a bunch of Jews. Who cares? That's his perspective. So he said to himself, I've got to come up with a, a method to get out of this. So he remembered that there was, now this is to his credit, there was a little bit of custom understood by him. And that was a grasp of what was being presented that indeed, on that particular holiday, there was the ability to set someone free. And he just assumed, surely these people, no matter how much I like or don't like them, Surely they've got enough intelligence to realize this guy named Barabbas, who everybody sees as a dangerous criminal, one who could, could kill and maim and, and cause all kinds of trouble if he were set free again. Surely, as bad a man as he is, there's no question that he versus a guy who talks too much, Jesus, who does miracles and nice little things, surely they're going to let... Jesus be free, and they're going to choose Barabbas. So he reminds them of that habit, that custom. He said, hey, I'll give you another opportunity. I've already asked you once to judge him within yourselves, and you wouldn't do it. You brought him here, and I've tried to deal with him. But, you know, there's another thing that you can consider, and that's just simply letting him go and hope that he'll just be quiet. But in, we all know what happened at that point. To the shock of the governor, instead of saying, finally, we're going to let this Jesus out of the picture, they say, no, 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 let Barabbas go. And you know the scripture, very fascinating in this story, at that point, we have another one. You know, I don't, I don't know about where you get your information, where you get your advice in life. Now, how he came up with the Barabbas idea Understanding culture, I will say to you, understanding culture is important. We need to grasp cultural alternatives, ways of handling things. Not everybody's going to like it. You know, in our own church, we have music, for example. The music style in this worship service versus the music style that will be existing in this same room in one hour from now, very, very different. 
cultures, customs, what we're adjusted to, what we manage, are all different. We need to learn from those and respect differences. That part's okay. But you know, when we look for our, our advice, uh, our aid, our uh, assistance in understanding things. We have to consider the sources we're going to. And it's very interesting that in here, suddenly, Pilate's wife jumps in with an idea. Now, I don't know how you are about the advice. Now, men, I warn you, wives sometimes say things that are actually of value. <clears throat> I don't dare say 100% of the time, but if I say not at all, I'm dead. Because uh, I do want to go home tonight. But the point is that his wife, Pilate's wife, stepped into the picture. And she, even she said, you know, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was warned of the danger of being too tightly connected to this Barabbas situation. I, I'm just warning you, husband. You need to get out of this whole thing. You know, what happened with Barabbas is one thing, but you don't need to be in here. You're gonna, this is all going to backfire on you. And as usual, being a man, he uh, didn't listen to his wife possibly as much as he should have. Kind of ignored her. Didn't happen. And he moved straight on. You know, I would say his inaction in listening and considering the possibility that that little bird that flew in through the window, being his wife, may have actually had something could have helped him tremendously. It's kind of sad he didn't listen. We all need to be listening a bit more. And I'm talking to myself as well. We all need to be aware of what's going on around us. That sometimes there are sources of information that can help us to be more effective. Be able to do things that are more useful to God. Somehow Pilate certainly wasn't listening because he continued to go straight on. And we began to see the character of Pilate as he was very, very frustrated. And he continued to move forward. And as we know, indeed, Jesus had been before multiple individuals. And they said, we want Barabbas to be set free. They wanted the guilty man free, not Jesus. When Pilate was a troubled, let's see, surely Pilate was a troubled man. From the vantage point of 2,000 years ago, Pilate's position was a sad one. He was caught in the middle. He knew full well that Jesus was innocent, and yet it did not impact himself because he had fear in his heart. Self-protection, ambition, as the things that motivated his direction. The changing situation. You know, we have to recognize that in that environment, the crowd played a role. There were a group of people that were all around him. But as they were looking at the situation, we have to realize that the religious leadership, who were down at the bottom, according to the Scripture, it says they were the ones that were stirring things up. So it's not always the people you expect that give the best advice. Sometimes good advice comes from sources you never expect. We have to constantly evaluate. Apathy and fear were things that controlled 
some of the decision-making that was going on that day in the life of Pilate. Pilate's, Pilate's story, Pilate's story in a nutshell, he was a bureaucrat. Ambition, security, surviving, climbing a political ladder. These were things that led him and guided him. More than anything, his job, position, and status were things that motivated him. His goal was to make everybody happy. Very dangerous goal. You can't make everybody happy. To make a solid decision will always mean some people will have to deal with a decision that's probably not the direction they want to go. Now, it's not even just a percentage game here. We're not dealing with a consensus issue. Sometimes we have to go against the crowd and still find that it's the right decision. Making everybody happy and offending none is not really realistic. We all think differently about many things, but we dream of consensus building, making everything perfect. And when we do, we're, we have a dream that's not going to function. We see in the story very clearly what happened then. Because at that point, Pilate began to say, you know, I just don't know what to do. I've tried this method, this method, this method. I'm trying to pass the buck. I'm trying to get somebody else to make the decision. Somebody else that will go ahead and be reasonable. Finally, I give up. I'm going to wash my hands of the whole thing, which he literally did. And the scripture says that he got a bowl and he cleaned his hands and he said, this man is innocent. I want none of it on me. And of course, the crowd said, it's okay. Blame us. We don't care. We're Jewish. We don't mind. As long as you give us the authority to put Jesus on a cross. When we stand by and do nothing, as our, as our society is going to hell, how do we dare to get out a bowl of water for ourselves. Following Christ is more than memorizing facts. It is a relationship. Our church, you as an individual, me as an individual, we've got to become sensitized to the lost around us, to the society in which we live. And not only understand it and feel for it, but make plans and do something about it. As we can tell... This is not a story today just about Pilate. It's a story about ourselves as we respond to Jesus in our world. Pilate was ambitious, prideful, selfish, self-contained, security-focused, bureaucratic. He is, in all truth, not that different from us. We must ask ourselves the same question that, we, that was asked of the crowd. What would you have me do with Jesus? Do you serve him or do you ignore him? There's not another choice. Today, what do you do with Jesus? You know, Pilate, he judged him. And he missed the opportunity to do what he knew was right. He chose the expedient path of ambition and security. Peter ended up being a coward. As he could have stood up for a friend. He feared retribution and did not speak up. The crowd surrendered to group dynamics, peer pressure, 
Other people are doing this. So instead of saying, I will remain firm, they leaned on each other and they did not anything to assist. The court system failed in every way. Believing that a society's court system will have all the correct answers for us is not realistic. The values are different. The goals are different. The understanding is different. Religious leaders. The religious leaders had a box they had developed, but they didn't know how to deal with Jesus. And Jesus was always seeking creative ways to show His love for other people. What would you have me do with Jesus? In the Scripture, in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7, we see the story of Stephen. I'm sure that Stephen Jang would like to think I'm talking about him. Where's the, I don't know if you, but I'm not. I'm talking about the other Stephen, just like we talk about the other Mary. The Stephen that we see in Acts chapter 6 and 7 is one that challenges us greatly because when he would be asked the question, what would you do with Jesus? He was not one that feared. He was not one that was following Jesus out of ambitious goals. He was not one that was seeking security. He was not one who was doing anything for his own benefit. Stephen stood strong. And he went back and reviewed the history of the Jewish people. And he said, God took care of us here. God took care of us here. God took care of us here. And when I think of VCBC, I can look back at history and say, God took care of us here. God took care of us here. God took care of us here. I believe God will take care of us in the future. Is there a possible price to be paid? Looking at Stephen, the answer was yes. But just as was true when we look at the story of Jesus, it was people who wanted to build boxes of religion that ended up being the challenge for Stephen. Stephen was saying, I want to follow Jesus. So when people ask me, what religion do you follow? My answer is always, I don't. I'm willing to follow Jesus, but following a religion won't get you there. Won't give you any purpose in any direction. Stephen was challenging us to say, his walk with Christ was more important to him than anything. Brothers and sisters, today, my prayer for you and for me, that our Christian walk would be equally along that path. That we would look at Stephen who had looked at Jesus and be equally as bold, equally as brave, and equally as burdened. Not ambitious, but burdened that our lives are valuable and meaningful each and every day. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this day at Easter. We thank you for allowing us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the living Savior who we follow this day. We thank you that we do not follow a dead religion. 
We thank you that we are not just following Christ based on rules and regulations, but we follow a living Jesus who wants to impact our world. Father God, we ask you make our lives relevant. In Jesus' name, amen.